0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Today, we're continuing our Advent preaching series. We're in week three. Uh, anticipating the arrival of Jesus. And the goal this year, as we kind of look into what are we going to teach, what are we going to look at? Because many of us, whether we've been in church or not, know the story of Advent. We know the kind of the, the, the tradition and, and what it entails, the story, the narrative as a whole. But what we wanted to do was we wanted to come back to this word, this theme of wonder. We want to encounter wonder. The wonder of Christ in this Advent story. And so we've titled the preaching series um, that we're doing in this season Wonder. We wanna be captivated with wonder. A year ago on Monday that's just passed, one year ago on Monday, uh, my family and I arrived in America. Uh, We moved over from South Africa and we've celebrated our one year anniversary of living in this beautiful city and country, enjoying everything that America has to offer. And let me tell you, America does a lot of things right. There's a lot of things and a lot of privileges that we have enjoyed being uh, in this country and making this country our home. Uh, and one of the things, one of the many things America does really well is Christmas, let me tell you, Americans know how to just decorate things amazing, not just gingerbread houses, but like your actual houses. Whether it, whatever holiday theme or whatever's going on, you guys decorate like no other country in the world. So, you know, well done on that. But um, we arrived uh, on a year ago now, and on our arrival, uh, Caitlin had come over a few months prior to that, but she was arriving into America we were driving to our home for the very first time and she hadn't seen any of it. She, uh, my, myself, I had come out a few times during the course of the year, met some of you lovely folk, preached, we started the church in September and I came out a few times and in November my son and I came out, uh, my oldest son Judah, and one of the things that we, uh, came and did and conquered and arrived back into South Africa victorious with the news that we had secured a lease in a home. And uh, as you know, that's no easy task here in San Diego, especially as a foreigner with no social security number and no bank accounts. but uh, we did it. And so we came and uh, saw and conquered, and we arrived back home and we said, hey, we found this amazing neighborhood, and we showed pictures and YouTube clips to uh, the family. We also found this house and we secured the lease, and so we have a house to move into when we arrive in America in December, but Caitlin hadn't seen any of it. She had seen photographs. She had, you know, we had told her about it, but as you know, with most things in life, you see a beautiful sunset, you take a photograph, you're like, that's not as good as seeing the real thing in, in, in person. So when we arrived, you know, Judah and I knew what to expect, but Caitlin had no idea. And we drove up into our neighborhood, and one thing that actually caught me by surprise as well is we arrived in the evening, and there was just like Christmas wonderland with just all the—we live in this beautiful little neighborhood, as all the neighborhoods in San Diego are, and there's just like lights on every house, and we're like, what is this crazy North Pole wonderland that I've arrived into? And uh, (coughs) But I kind of knew what to expect, and so driving in, uh, you know, saw the neighborhood, and it was, it was awesome. And uh, as you can imagine, there's lots of emotions, but Caitlin was experiencing this for the very first time. Having seen photographs and explanations of what we tried to tell her what was to come, I remember looking over to my wife and just seeing tears rolling down her face and just being so captivated with, wow, this is gonna be our home, and this is so beautiful. I remember you saying, Caitlin, that it was more beautiful, the neighborhood was better than you could have imagined, and then also just captivated by the awesomeness of the Christmas lights. And we've seen it in movies, but it's something different, experiencing the real thing. And I hope that this year for the series on wonder, and my prayer for us as a community is that we would be captivated, maybe for the first time, or you know, again, reminded of the wonder of Christmas, that we wouldn't just be caught up in the familiarity of it, Uh, We wouldn't be caught up in uh, just kind of knowing about Christmas, knowing the story about the birth of Jesus, seeing the nativity plays and reading in our scriptures, but actually that you would encounter Jesus fresh, that you would see him for yourself, that you'd be able to enjoy Jesus and all that he is for the first time or for the umpteenth time and be captivated as you experience him for yourself. And so my praise that you would experience Jesus for yourself, that you would see him, that you would know him, and that you'd be captivated by him. Because wonder teaches us to see what other people miss out on. Wonder teaches us to savor what other people devour. Wonder teaches us to seek fervently what other people seem to neglect casually. Let us not neglect the wonder of this Christmas season because we're just going through the motions. The British poet William Blake says, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, hold infinite infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. We've looked at the story of Mary. We've looked at the story of Simeon and Anna, and we've looked at these individual accounts highlighting the significance of not only the story as a whole, but the individual people's response to the birth of Jesus, and how they were captivated and and brought to a place of beauty and awe and wonder at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because I believe when we understand what the Scripture says about the nativity, about the story of Jesus' birth, wonder, awe, singing, and worship is the only fitting response to Jesus Christ. In fact, worship, praise, surrender, and sacrificial offering of our lives is, um, what's that? She's like, this is why I can't carry this thing around all day, people. (laughs) Honestly, that's like, that San Diego mom life if I've ever seen it. We get a glimpse of this kind of worship-filled response when we consider the Magi. Or the wise men, or if you're familiar with the nativity story and you've watched the school plays, the three kings, that is found in Matthew chapter 2. And so we're going to look at that passage, Matthew chapter 2, if you've got your Bible. (coughs) And I've titled this message this morning, The Magi and the Messiah. And what we see in this passage, these verses, is we learn two things. We learn the global purposes of God in all of human history and then we learn what is the ultimate purpose of God for our own individual lives. The purpose of God for human history and the purpose of God for our own individual lives. So Matthew chapter two, verse one, and I'll go uh, all the way through to verse 12. And if you're able and willing, I just invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. It'll come up on the screen or you can follow in your Bible. (coughs) After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, three wise, or wise men rather, from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born, King of the Jews? For we saw his star at the rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go and worship him." After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Friends, in verse 1, we're introduced to the Magi. These Magi, they can be translated, the the wise men, some of us know them as the the kings, the three kings, but there's really a bit of mystery surrounding these gentlemen. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know about them, but there are some things that we do know. So let's just focus on what what we do know. What we do know is that uh, they weren't just wise men in general, they weren't just like really clever academic dudes with a lot of knowledge. They weren't, what is uh, in in that ancient day, they were astrologers, students of the stars. Uh, We also know that uh, these wise men, they had a lot of prominence in society. They were high ranking officials with power and influence. Uh, These men were well-respected with roles in both religion and politics in their land. So they're really important people that a lot of people admired or looked up to or went to for advice and guidance. Now, uh, through their study of the stars, as astrologers they were, uh, they were drawn by a particular star to journey to worship the one who is given the title King of the Jews. And right off the bat, I just want to make a point uh, uh, to note. I love how God shows us his purposes. God shows us in the story of these magi, these astrologers, these pagan worshipers, uh, he shows us that he pursues individual people. He also shows us that he meets people on their own terms. These are astrologers. God comes to their reality and he meets them in the stars. He communicates with them in a way that they will understand and he leads them in a way that is unique to them and familiar to them. And I think right off the bat, as we consider this Advent series and maybe you're new to church or you're asking questions, I just wanna say to you this morning that God is not going to make us jump through religious hoops and go through many tests and trials to enter into his presence. In fact, God reveals to us over and over again, particularly in this passage, that he pursues us and that he will meet you where you're at, and that he will speak to you in ways that are familiar to you. Really, all we need to do is do what the astrologers, the Magi did, is just lift our eyes and be available to listen and to see. We also know that the Magi presented three gifts. In fact, we assume that there were just three of them, but there most likely were more than just three Magi or three wise men, but we've made that assumption based on the fact that they gave three gifts, but what we see in verse 2 is these wise men, they ask the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. This reference, friends, to a star is really important because it fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. There's a bit of an Old Testament background to this that will be helpful in us understanding this particular story and why the stars and is, is highlighted. There's a story in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. If you're new to the Bible, the, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament is two-thirds of the, the Bible, That the first two-thirds that give us the story from creation up until and before the birth of Christ. And then you get the New Testament, the birth of Christ that goes on into a future reality in the book of Revelation. But in the Old Testament, there's this book called Numbers. And in Numbers 22, we see the story of Balak and Balaam and the book of Numbers recounts this journey where God's people have come out of slavery in Egypt, they're walking around the wilderness and they get to uh, Mount Sinai and they're on the edge of the promised land this promise that they're gonna enter into for freedom. And as they journey in the wilderness, they grow in might and power. And this scared the king, whose name was uh, Balak, he's king of Moab. And he is scared because he is occupying the land that these Israelites wanna take over as the promise of God. And so he calls for Balaam, who's a magician or a magi or a wise man. And so Balaam, uh, he has been summoned. He comes from the eastern mountains. This is really important. And he's called so that he can come and curse the house of Israel, that he can come and curse God's people. But the story continues and God makes it clear to Balaam that he must not curse the people of Israel, but rather bless them. And what we see is that Balaam, the Magi, he blesses God's people three times, giving them three gifts of blessing. Really important. Balaam obeys God and he blesses the house of Israel three times, It's a direct parallel between the story of the wise men coming from the east, the Magi, who come and bring three gifts. And they're called and invited by Herod to come and give, uh, basically that Herod's intention is destruction, and they come and give blessing. Balaam's account, uh, his oracle begins in Numbers 24, where he says, the oracle of the one who hears the sayings of God and has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision of the Almighty, who falls into a trance with his eyes uncovered. I see him now, or I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. And so the last two lines in this oracle, I just want to give us some historical background here. These last two lines tell us of a scepter that will arise from God's people, referring to the one who will rule as king, and a star will come along with it. So the Old Testament gives us this promise of what is to come when God redeems and saves all of humanity. This promised king associated with a star will arrive and he will deliver God's people from their enemies. And so Balaam's prophecy in the Old Testament is what we call a messianic prophecy, a picture of this coming anointed one. And so it's no coincidence that when we read in Matthew this fulfillment of this messianic promise where the Magi come from the east, they follow a star and they come and meet King of the Jews. What God promised in the Old Testament is now coming to pass in the New Testament at the birth of Jesus Christ. And the prophecy of a star its actually referred to as a light, a light, if you get it, to whom the nations would respond is uh, not only found in Numbers, but it's also found in Isaiah 60, where the prophet tells of the coming of God's glory in God's people, where he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines over you. For, do- for look, darkness covers the earth and total darkness the people, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your radiance. All talking about the story to come. Raise your eyes and look around they all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from afar, your daughters will be carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and rejoice because the riches of the sea will be yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you, these gifts. Caravans of camels will, come, will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephra, I don't know. All of them will come from Sheba and they will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. See how God brings everything into fulfillment in the New Testament. Once again, we have this promise in Isaiah that nations will come to the light of God's people. All nations will bring riches and gifts of worship. And so then we read in Matthew that nations are drawn to the light, to the star that is over God's people. Friends, I want us to consider how how beautiful this is that God through redemptive history, has this plan in pursuing his people. He has this plan in pursuing you and me. And his promises are always fulfilled. Consider how striking it is then again in Matthew's Gospel, which is a book that is actually written and aimed specifically for a Jewish audience. The first people that we see worshiping the Messiah is Magi, outside of a Jewish audience, magi from the nations. This is clearly a picture of God drawing the nations of the world to a Jewish Messiah. This promised Messiah will not only be called king of the Jews, he will be king of all people. The wise men, the magi, they journey from east to west, estimated by some scholars to be a journey of hundreds or even thousands of miles in order to come and find the star. And if you trace their journey, the natural stopping place for them would have been Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And they were certain that if there was going to be a king born to the Jewish people, it's very likely that he would have been born in the capital city to get as much you know, prominence and publicity as possible. And so they arrive in Jerusalem and they begin asking around. You can imagine the wise men asking around, have you, do you, have you seen, him who's born king of the Jews. Does anyone know where the king of the Jews was born? And all they get is these blank stairs, which leads and sets them up to their encounter with King Herod. When King Herod is notified of the arrival of these wise men, men of prominence, men are well-respected, and he's told that they are looking for the one who they are giving the title king of the Jews, we are told that Herod is upset about this. Verse three says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. What we see is a a world leader intimidated by the message of Jesus. Some background on Herod will help us understand this a little bit better. Uh, Herod had been given complete control of Judea or Judah or Israel by the ruling Roman superpower. And he was considered by all to be the king of the Jews. He was king of Israel. He was a vicious, bloodthirsty tyrant. Whenever he suspected anyone was planning to take over his rule, he would simply have them killed. And so when Herod hears that that officials with power and influence have journeyed to Jerusalem to find a baby who is given the title King of the Jews, Matthew says that he is disturbed. This word disturbed literally means in turmoil or even terrified. And so Herod is threatened by the announcement of the one who is supposedly come to usurp his reign. Many other people in Jerusalem, including the religious leaders, are also troubled. Next, we read that Herod is, he calls together the chief priests and the scribes, who too are opposed to Jesus. Matthew writes, so he, which is Herod, assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. And so what we see is we see religious leaders and lawyers basically coming to Herod, and they are indifferent to Jesus. And this is really important. The chief priests, they represent the Jewish worship. They have been anointed and appointed by God to lead the nation in worship towards God. And so despite being anointed as priests, special anointing from the Lord, these religious leaders have become a corrupt group of religiously orientated politicians at the time of Jesus' birth. And then you get the scribes. The scribes, they represent Jewish law. They're basically lawyers who are employed to uphold the Bible of the day, which is the Old Testament, and all of the rules and laws that are found in the Old Testament, as well as a whole bunch of other rules and laws that had come up as tradition. They were instituted by the scribes. The spiritual state of the priests and the scribes, friends, is a sobering reminder that mere knowledge of the Scriptures or mere knowledge about Jesus, or mere knowledge about, you know, the, the, the facts of the Bible is actually not enough. In fact, these two groups, the chief priests and the scribes, would have known the Bible, the Old Testament, the Bible of the day, off by heart. They would have been able to recite word for word two-thirds of our Bible. And yet we see that they are indifferent to Jesus. Mere Knowledge of the text, but yet they missed the miracle. They missed the whole point. They needed to be captivated by wonder. They needed to be captivated by awe. They needed an encounter with Jesus that penetrated the walls of their hearts that didn't only rest in their place in their mind. Caitlin knew all about our neighborhood. She had seen photos of our house. We knew that Americans did Christmas well but it was something different about encountering that in the flesh and experiencing it for yourself. Contrast this with our own lives, our attitude towards Jesus. Are we captivated with the person of Christ? Consider Advent. Are we bored with the Advent story? Are we just going through the motions and making sure that we don't eat too much sugar but enjoy some sugar and get, make sure we get the presents? And I'm wondering when my Walmart delivery is gonna arrive because I don't want to have an upset, upset child on Christmas morning. Are we getting distracted? Or are we coming to a place of encountering Jesus and being captivated by him? Mere knowledge about him is not enough. When Herod inquired of these Jewish religious leaders as to where the Messiah would be born, They quoted the Old Testament. Now, this is crazy because they quote the Old Testament. They tell King Herod that he will be born in a town of Bethlehem. So get this. This is startling. These men, they knew all about the Scriptures. They also knew the exact place where the Messiah would be born. They had all the knowledge, and yet they did absolutely nothing about it. Again, it's a dangerous thing for us to know the Word but yet fail to respond. Blaise he said, if God exists, not seeking God must be the gravest error imaginable. If one decides to sincerely seek for God but does not find him, the lost effort is negligible in comparison to what is at risk in not seeking God in the first place. These religious leaders, they were indifferent to Jesus. They had all the knowledge, but they were indifferent. And this indifference and apathy soon led to outright opposition. Because eventually what we see, if you continue reading the gospel message, this outright opposition would lead them to kill Jesus. The very people who had all the knowledge of scriptures, they were the ones to kill Jesus. The next time we see the title King of the Jews ascribed to Jesus in Matthew's gospel is when Jesus is hanging on a cross at his crucifixion. So there's a challenge to us in this Advent season because one of the greatest dangers facing the church today is not a lack of knowledge. We have more Bibles and versions of the Bible and translations of the Bible than any other time in human history. You can go to most if not all bookstores and find a copy of the Bible. You can Google the Bible, we have Bible apps. You can literally have someone else, the voice of Jesus, read the Bible to you. We don't have a lack of knowledge of the scriptures. One of the greatest challenges to the church today is a lack of obedient movement and response towards the knowledge that we already have. I believe we're living in an age of a lack of wonder and an age of childlike faith. It's not a lack of knowledge that prevents us, but rather a lack of loving movement and response to the gospel message. So whether you've been a Christian for ages or you're new to the church, I just wanna encourage us this morning to lean in and respond to the message of Jesus, that you would encounter him and be captivated. First Corinthians, Paul tells us, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. That's life's greatest gift, to be known by God. The Magi, who are pagan astrologers outside of the Jewish nation, They are the ones, surprisingly enough, who teach us how we should respond. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that Herod's scheming, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star would appear and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child and when you find him, report back to me so that I can go and worship him too. And as we find out later, this is just a lie from Herod. He has no intention of worshiping anybody else who carries the title King of the Jews. So Herod pretends kindness, and it seems that the wise men, at least at this point, they believe that his intentions are true, and so off they go. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. This is actually the first time that we see the star move. And it literally, supernaturally leads the wise men to Bethlehem. It resembles the pillar bar, of cloud by day and the fire by night that the Israelites followed as they came out of Egypt in the wilderness in the Old Testament. The people of God walking through the wilderness in the Old Testament are led by the Spirit of God and the star leads these wise men to the place where Jesus was. And they must have been ecstatic because in verse 10 we read that when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Again, They had knowledge that there was one who was born King of the Jews, but it wasn't until they saw Jesus for themselves and had an encounter with him for themselves that they were overwhelmed with joy. I just pray that you would see Jesus for yourself this Christmas and that you yourself would be overwhelmed with joy. See, seeing the child Jesus was the culmination of their journey, and this encounter likely took place Long after the night that Jesus was born, verse 11, it tells us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had settled into a nice little home uh, at this time, and so they were out the stable. And uh, soon after this, Herod does a bit of calculation, and he finds out that Jesus must have been around two years old. But regardless of whenever the wise men show up, we know that they were filled with exceeding gladness at the sight, overwhelmed and overcome with joy, and they responded in the only appropriate way. It says, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshiped him. They see Jesus, and they fall on their knees, and they worship him. These distinguished men from the East, these pagan worshipers, nobles of nations, are now bowing down, and they're worshiping a baby. You only bow down in the presence of someone who's far superior to you, as if to say, I am low and you are high. And that's exactly what these Magi were doing in this moment. The next time we see the wise men they're giving these extravagant gifts over to Jesus, verse 11 says that they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. It was customary in those days to give over gifts when you were in the presence of someone that was superior. Some commentators say that these gifts don't bear any real significance other than an example of extravagant outpouring of of worship or of of gifts, of something costly being given over to a baby that was born king of the Jews. But at the same time, we have so many accounts throughout history and in the Scriptures that would point to the fact that maybe these gifts carried some unique uh, symbolism. Gold... emphasizing Jesus' deity, or sorry, rather his royalty, that he is a king. Throughout scriptures, we see that gold is associated with kings and queens and princes, and it fits the main thrusts of Matthew's gospel to show us that Jesus is the king. And so you have these pagan worshipers falling on their knees, worshiping Jesus, and saying, actually, you are the king, giving him gold. The next gift is the gift of frankincense, and frankincense would emphasize Jesus' deity, You're the king, but you're also God. See, frankincense was used in the Old Testament not only in royal processions, but actually in offerings over to God. And when it's used in the Old Testament, frankincense is usually referred to something related to worship of God or service to God. And so these wise men, they're saying, we recognize you're the king. We recognize that you are God. But then this is striking. They offer the gift of myrrh. Myrrh would emphasize his humanity. They're saying, you're God, you're king. But somehow in it all, you're also a human, you're also a baby. Whereas frankincense would be associated with the worship of God, myrrh is often associated with the anointing of a man. And so it's quite fascinating, particularly in light of the other appearances of myrrh that is found in the Gospels. Check this out. Jesus was presented with myrrh as king in a cradle. But in Mark's Gospel, Later on, when Jesus is being hoisted up onto the cross as his crucifixion, we are told that he is presented with a mixture of wine and myrrh. So not only was Jesus presented with myrrh as a king in a cradle, he's also presented with myrrh as king on a cross. This gift of myrrh that is given soon after Jesus' birth actually give us a prophetic foretaste of his impending death tells us that he came for one reason. Jesus was born so that he could die. He came to take the penalty and the payment for our sins onto himself. As the angel announced earlier in Matthew's gospel that he will save people from their sins. And so we see then in Jesus' birth the significance of his death on our behalf. God so loved the world that he would give his only son to live a life of perfect obedience, a life that you and I could not live so that he could go and die the death that we deserve to die. And then Jesus rose from the grave in victory over Satan's sin and death so that whoever believes in him will never perish and enjoy eternal life. Bethlehem and Christmas and the nativity and advent, this is a significant part of the gospel message that we have relegated to Sunday school stories and children's plays. Yet I believe we need to come again and be captivated by the message that is of the gospel that is found in the Advent season. Like the wise men, we need to put aside our pride, our pretense, our familiarity, and be captivated in wonder again so that we can worship the King, that we can worship Jesus. In, in this account in Matthew, it gives us a powerful and in many senses a prophetic picture of joyful, reverent worship that, is, that Jesus himself is worthy of. This text has the potential, friends, to change everything about how you think about your life, your job, your family, the entire world around you. These 12 verses teach us that the global purpose of God is the glad praise of Christ among all the nations. Consider how God accomplishes his purposes in this particular text. In order to lead the wise men, he directs nature. Speaking of the star shining in the sky, John Piper says that God yields the universe to make his son known and worshipped. How amazing to think that God rearranges the sky to announce the coming of his son. When my son was born, I did an Instagram post God rearranged the stars. He exercised his authority as the sovereign over the universe to make it clear that the king has come. He has been born and he is worthy of our worship. God uses the stars to shout out to all the nations of the world the supremacy of Christ. Not only does God direct nature to announce the glory of his son, but he also draws nations for his purpose. Matthew's aim is to show us that Jesus, yes, is born King of the Jews, but it goes well beyond that. Jesus has come right in line with Abraham's promise in the book of Genesis to bless God's people for the sake of all people. So we're invited in, no matter who you are, what you've done, God meets pagan astrologers out in the field and he meets you and me today in a wedding venue in downtown San Diego. So he can draw us into his presence. So we cannot be like the Jewish lawyers, the priests and the scribes, who have their noses stuck in the scriptures, but miss the miracle. They miss the whole point of the text. So funny because if you read the Advent story, what we see is the, those highly exalted in society, the chief priests and the scribes, they miss the miracle, but the shepherds, The ones who are like least in society, they saw it. They saw it all. They got to enjoy the miracle. Their eyes were up. They were willing to see and to listen. God is drawing nations to himself and he's drawing you and me towards himself. But how is he doing this? How is he drawing and directing nations to himself? Well, he does two things as we close. Firstly, he sends the Christ. That's what we've seen so far in Matthew. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. The invitation at the beginning of Matthew is simply this to anyone who's there. It just says, come and see the King. The invitation to you and me today as we enjoy all the festivities, as we do all the Christmas things, is come and see the King. God invites the Magi and invites you and me to come and see His Son and to joyfully offer up our lives in worship people of God, you and me, regardless of our personality, should smile and sing and lift our hands. We should get excited because the King has come. Worship involves joyful, affectionate, and uninhibited praise. And like these powerful and influential men in Matthew chapter 2, we should be overwhelmed and bowing down in humble worship to the King of Kings. We give to Christ the extravagant offering of our lives, everything we have and everything that we are, and we lay it down before Jesus and we do it joyfully. He is the king. And as we see his royalty, his deity, and his humanity, we're compelled to shout and sing about his great worth. I just pray, Spirit of God, that you would fill us with wonder, the wonder of Christ that we would come and see, that we'd be captivated with wonder. St. Augustine says, to fall in love with Christ is the greatest romance, to seek him is the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. Come and see the Christ. After God sends the Christ, he sends the church. Much of what we see in Matthew, what he's doing is he's setting up in his opening chapters, we, what we find is at the end of his gospel is the fulfillment of what he's trying to achieve. At the beginning of Matthew, the message to the nations is come and see the king. But then at the end of Matthew, uh, Jesus tells his disciples to go and spread the kingdom. So it's come and see the king. Okay, go and, go and spread the kingdom. Joyfully offer your life as a worshiper and then passionately spend your life as a witness. We are witnesses and we are worshipers. The God who 2,000 years ago sovereignly rearranged the stars is the same God who is sovereignly rearranging our lives. And He's rearranging our lives so that He can reveal His Son to those around us. He rearranged the stars so He could speak to the Magi. I think He's rearranging our lives so that He can speak to our family, that He can speak to our friends. Who are you gonna be with in this Advent season? So many of you, and there's many in the room that aren't in the room today because they've gone home, they've gone back to all the other uh, states in America that we don't want to live in because we live in San Diego, and they've gone to, to all these other places that are either really cold or really hot and dry, and we're here. But who's, how is God rearranging the details of your life so that He can announce the coming of the King? And He's doing that through you. This is the God that wants to use your life to make the glad praises of Christ known to people everywhere. Whether you're uh, leading coworkers to joyfully worship Christ or college students or family members, God wants to use you, I believe. So I think there's two invitations as Taylor, I'm gonna invite Taylor to come up. We're gonna close on a song, but there's there's two invitations. There's, and they're they're for all of us. Come and see the Christ. Come and see the King. And maybe for you, this Advent season, it's going to end there. It's just going to be come and see Jesus. You haven't encountered him before. Come and see the King. And for others, it'll be come and see the King, and I'll go and spread the kingdom. Every believer, I believe, has the supernatural responsibility and the privilege of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I pray that you would live for this purpose and you would die for this purpose and that Christ would captivate your heart, that you would see the King, that you'd be overwhelmed with joy and their only fitting response would be falling on your knees and worshiping Him. But then I also pray that we would spend our lives, that we would give our lives All of our possessions, our plans, our dreams for the cosmic global purpose of God, which is the glad praise of Christ in all the nations of the world. Amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. I just want to pray. It's quite simple. All our all we want to achieve in this series is we want to educate and and teach the story of Advent. But it can't stop there. We won't encounter Jesus in it all. And so we don't wanna be like the scribes that are just learning. We don't wanna miss the miracle. We wanna be like the magi who seek and find and overcome and worship. And so I'm just gonna pray for you. If you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal Christ afresh to us again. Captivate us with the message of the gospel, a gospel that is not for only for someone else, but the gospel, that's for me, that you're changing me and saving me and pursuing me in love and mercy and grace, and I get to see the Christ. Help us see Jesus. So we come before you, Jesus, tonight or today, and, and we just say, here we are. You met the Magi in a way that was familiar to them. Maybe there's someone in the room this morning that just needs... God to reveal Himself to you in a way that is just familiar to you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we're at, speak to us individually in ways that are familiar, give us the courage to open up our hearts, to turn our eyes heavenward, and then give us clarity of vision to see Jesus. We thank you for the miracle of Advent your love that is displayed. And we ask that we would encounter Jesus afresh today. We're gonna worship now and, and we'll close our time together soon. But if you're here today and you just wanna get prayer because you, you I, want, I wanna meet this Jesus or I, I've, I'm, I'm interested, I've got more questions, but maybe today's a starting point for you, we would love to pray with you or just chat, answer Questions, get to know you. This is a, a space where we would love to journey with you long term and in, in walking out our faith as we disciple ourselves before Jesus together. We're going to worship now, we're going to sing, and we're going to trust that the Spirit of God will move in our hearts. And so, Lord, we come before you and we worship, asking that the inner workings of our hearts would be captivated with Christ. Hello. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.